everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hand Me Up Club. I am Lindsay. You know me from all the past episodes, but this week I am super excited because I am speaking with someone who is going to have a very unique take on sustainable fashion, and that is Joshua Luft from Everlasting Wardrobe. So let me tell you a little bit about Everlasting Wardrobe. Everlasting Wardrobe is a children's rental clothing subscription service focused on data analytics and experiential marketing. Everlasting Wardrobe offers a subscription model that is adaptable to the evolving size, style, taste, and purchasing inclinations of children as they grow. And, you know, their parents. <laughs> Not only does the service facilitate on an opportunity to subscribers to discover and experience each item of apparel, but provides software as a service, and it's a platform delivering segmented consumer feedback to clothing and CPG brand partners. So that's super cool, super innovative, which is kind of what sustainable fashion is all about. And I am super excited to be talking to Joshua Luft. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> oh, I am so excited to have you here. So do you want to say anything personal about yourself? Because I know that was very much, this is my brand, this is my product. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, who are you? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like uh, from listening to some of your past podcasts, I probably have a different uh, background than most. I did not have any sort of fashion background or, or really kind of in, in this space whatsoever or sustainability. Um, so it's kind of how I, I guess, backed into it and whatnot. But I went to Indiana University. I was a business major there, accounting and legal studies, double major, uh, obviously using neither those skills necessarily right now. But um, really from there, I kind of just got in, into like the entrepreneurship scene, helped start companies, started my own companies while I was in school. Um, and through one of them, I really got a pretty big like data bug. Got bitten by the data okay. bug there. Um, it was a company that we, we actually use like video based technology okay. to tell you demographics, uh, mood, sentiment, things like that. Just of people in a space, for example, with like a sports stadium or a retail store, things like that. And I, I got to see really how much this data affected their daily operations and, and really ha had such a huge effect on profits and, and lowering costs and things like that and, and really got kind of excited about data in general and then that's kind of where I started to take that approach to fashion which is obviously not a very data-centric industry necessarily. Um, it's very creative, uh, very subjective. You think something's really in trend, I mm -hmm. think something's completely different on trend. We might have different reasons why we both like the exact same piece. It's a very subjective industry so for me to get like a, a better sense of why something was cool, why something was selling through, why something was successful. That was really the most interesting thing to me. Um, just why did that pair of jeans do so well? Why is that sweatshirt so popular? Is it who's wearing it? Is it what it's made from? Is it kind of the story behind it, the branding, all those kind of things. So um, that's really where I wanted to take an approach to fashion. And then with obviously um, the sustainability of the kids industry, I have two uh, niece and nephew myself where I'd buy like a lot of gifts for. I mean, I try to be fashionable for them and trendy for them by like mm -hmm. my niece new black on black, like Chuck, uh, Chuck Taylor high tops, like super so cool. <laughs> yeah. She's killing it. But then she wears them for four months and then grows out of them. And it's kind of like what that's kind of, you I mean, it's a little disheartening as an uncle. I can't imagine what it would be like as a parent when you're consistently doing that over and over again. And that's kind of really where we got the idea for everlasting wardrobe is really take that data centric approach um, to this kind of industry. That's, as I mentioned, very subjective, but uh, has a lot of waste and a lot of kind of excess in it and really try to help out in a lot of different ways from both the family side and, as you mentioned, kind of in the intro, 
uh, from the brand side as well. Absolutely. I think it's just so brilliant doing it for kids. I know earlier this year, I was doing this extremely involved fashion focus group for a European company. And after taking their data analysts to all these shopping places in the city and talking about there was a day-long actual focus group session where we talked about sustainable products sure. and a lot of the people because it was a huge cross-section of humanity mm-hmm. had either no concept of what sustainable products were or what sustainable fashion was and then a lot of them had a huge stigma in their own minds about it because they were thinking like oh they're used or they're dirty or mm-hmm. it's recycled or something like that and they weren't understanding that that is not the case uh, i mean yeah uh, i hope to had it otherwise probably wouldn't necessarily be using the service but yeah i mean for us we, we got kind of lucky we're not we're not trailblazers necessarily you have a lot of great companies especially in the women's space that are already doing rental and that are very very successful uh both venture funded and, and profits and revenues wise so for us it wasn't like we were necessarily reinventing the wheel um so to speak but like really trying to apply it to in our mind, an industry that needed that more, mm-hmm. um, just because no matter how adorable you think your child is in something, no matter how much they want to wear this piece of clothing, at some point, they're going to grow out of it. And like for me and you, yeah, we might fluctuate weight here and there, but for the most part, we're wearing a certain amount of the same clothing, potentially even our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, with kids, like it doesn't make a difference. Like you could love something, wear it every day even, you're still going to grow out of it in a few months. So. Uh, for us, like it definitely, I mean, it makes sense in our eyes and then just see me as a kid, like they always joke about, like, especially with investors, uh, make sure you kind of build a business for yourself. I don't have children myself, but I know like as a seven year old, eight year old, I much rather would have had a service like this, um, to kind of help subsidize our wardrobe rather than my parents necessarily being the ones to choose everything. Cause mm-hmm. as phenomenal of people they are, uh, fashion is not necessarily one of, one of those you mean positive attributes for them so uh in that case for me kind of definitely something i would have used personally but just in just in general in the industry um i think it makes so much sense like you know i mean i i think just especially the services for you mean with women as far as like what they wear to work like not having if you if you don't really want to wear the same thing over and over again to have that kind of optionality to switch out all the time every month every week that kind of stuff is you mean makes so much sense um Personally, like I don't necessarily get out as much as I used to with working so much on this. So I don't necessarily mean so much like a going out wardrobe, but like meeting with investors, things like that, going to like uh, kind of events and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It definitely would be convenient to have a menswear kind of version of that as well. So, I mean, I, I and personally, like especially with like the just, I guess, uh, misconceptions about it. You I mean, everything you're getting sometimes even in e-commerce has been sent out to someone else potentially. So... Mm-hmm you're kind of already experiencing all that. It's just like wash it yourself and what's kind of what's the difference in, in my opinion. But I could definitely understand why why some people might be a little hesitant about it. And to be honest, when we build Everlasting Wardrobe, that's definitely something we thought of. That's why we created like a, we have a $40 a month plan and the $80 a month plan and that VIP plan, the $80 one is, um, that child gets is the first one to wear everything. So although they are renting, they're being more economical about it, they're being more sustainable about it. At the same time, if you're a high-income individual that still feels a little icky about renting your kids' clothes, you could just rent everything brand new, and you really kind of solve that problem because your kid's the first one to wear everything. 
do you find a lot of people are opting for one over the other? We're about 10% right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we certainly don't have enough members to really give you, like, what this is going to extrapolate over tens of hundreds of thousands of members. But um, we're about 10% right now uh, that are uh, rent it new option and about 85, 90% that are the $40 Everything could be previously worn, but it's all professionally washed and inspected by mm-hmm. eco-friendly detergents and through our, our cleaning partners and stuff like that. And then inspected multiple times before, after it gets from the, the family before, and then uh, multiple times again before it goes out to the next family. Mm-hmm. So we try to, I mean, it, that's like the, in, the easiest way to lose someone is by giving them like something that was dirty or needed to be mended or something like that. So... For us, just selfishly, that it just wouldn't make sense from a business perspective. So we're very, very uh, stringent on those kind of cleaning and inspecting to make sure that every time that something goes out, it's it's still in the best possible condition. Because then, on as we mentioned with the brand side of things, um, where we're very different than a lot of these uh, other brands, are that we need to make sure we kind of keep these partnerships um, updated with them. Just because, um, I mean, since they're giving a lot of this inventory to us for free. We really, and we're acting as that marketing platform for them. We, we need to really make sure that every time that brand is seen by that family and it's experienced over that 30 days, it's a great first impression. It's a great experience, not this had a stain in it, this has a hole in it. Like we, we, mm-hmm. we just retire those clothes at that point, donate them, or we actually have uh, recycling partners to kind of make sure everything uh, doesn't end up in landfills as well when we're done with them. Just in researching Everlasting Wardrobe, I had initially found like a Poshmark page where sure. you guys were selling things. So then I was wondering, is the first round when you take it out of rotation, is it, or when it's in the platform, is the first step buy it if you like it? And then the second step is we try and resell it on a platform like Poshmark. And then if it's not really a sellable item, is it then recycled? And then what are those recycling partners? So all the stuff on our Poshmark page is actually stuff that we don't use in the service at all. So okay. we've acquired a lot of clothing as well by buying out liquidated boutiques and wholesalers that were going out of business or trying to get rid of past seasons uh, collections kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. And then we've been able to kind of resell a lot of the items that don't fit our platform. So for example, a lot of these boutiques will have maternity wear. A lot of them will have like cashmere, like $400, $500 sweaters for a six month old. <laughs> Things we wouldn't necessarily include in the rental because I feel I would feel bad to give that to a parent just because then they have to worry about this thing. Not saying that we make them pay for it or anything like that, but at least like they don't have to worry about keeping it clean. We try to keep non-dry cleaning items in the rental platform as much as possible. Um, so all these kind of things were the things that we try to resell to the Gilts, the Rulalas, the Saks Off Fifth Avenue, um, maternity companies, things like that. And then all the ones that we couldn't bulk sell, um, we actually sell kind of one by one. So lots of the stuff you'll find on the Poshmark account is our those kind of items that we purchase in these other sales um, that we can't really use for the the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that the brand gives us is never ever sold on Poshmark. It's only used for their purpose for marketing purposes. So our goal is to actually most often not sell anything out of the box. Oh, because as that marketing platform, we want to really use that piece of clothing as many times as possible with families, as long as it's in great condition. Because what we found is that that thirty day period that they're able to use that clothing is the best marketing really they can get because no matter how we always say it's like the brands and parents and it's kind of very easily noticed but 
no matter how adorable the content is on Instagram or on your website or anything like that, it's not going to really compare to your own child wearing the clothing, smiling, comfortable, confident. Those are the things that really build that brand awareness and that loyalty where that parent's like, well, this item might be more 10 or $15 more than maybe some off-brand retailer that I might normally go to. But I just saw my daughter, I just saw my son literally fight with me to take this piece of clothing off, which we've heard from some of our uh, uh, parents, which is great. Um, so in those cases, we actually then um, push them to the websites of the brands. Uh, we give them an exclusive discount code from the brand to only our members, so unique to our members. Um, that way, they feel like they're part of an exclusive club, that they're getting a better deal than anyone, like the normal consumer. Um, as well, then the brand can actually start to track the sales that we're pushing towards them. Um, so they can see, all right, we gave them a 1,000 pieces of clothing. This costs us about $5 or so, $10 or so to manufacture per piece. I mean, we're in the $5,000, $10,000 investment into them. See how much sales they give us. Let's see how much engagement they give us. And as we mentioned, like the feedback data and all those things. Um, so each piece of clothing usually lasts on average between five and seven families. We've seen some pieces like dark denim jeans, things like that, last up to 10, 12 families. Um, and keep going, to be honest. Uh, just very well constructed, do, does well in the wash, things like that. Um, and then once that kind of is past that rental cycle, like when we don't feel comfortable putting that out there for that brand, um, we'll retire it. We'll look for charity partners. We actually have some that we're working with kind of off book right now and, mm -hmm. and smaller donations just because we're very early in the process. Um, same thing with recycling. We've got a lot of pieces that were damaged or broken that we couldn't even use the first time. Uh, when we buy, you mean 20,000, 30,000 pieces at once, sometimes, I mean, you're not, not every piece is going to be up to the quality standards. Um, so for those, like we've had like people that we've passed it on to for recycling purposes, but um, I, we're, those are things that we're actively kind of trying to build to when we get to the 10,000, 100,000 member mark um, that we kind of have those things built into the channels as well. Got it. That kind of answers all of that. Yeah, no, that got all, all the different perfect, aspects perfect. of it. Um, so this is actually kind of interesting because you are a rental program and it is really encouraging reuse. It's kind of essentially like your siblings hand me ups, but exactly. from your yep. unknown neighbor or friend. Um, but then at the same time, it's also a marketing platform for people to go buy a new product for themselves. And so how, how I guess my question is, it's kind of in some ways like a rental, but also like a curated shopping experience Definitely. too. Because so, like what you said, kind of compared to the, the hand-me-up, like you're kind of just left with whatever your cousin or whatever your sister. Obviously, if it's your own family, that's one thing. But like a colleague, things like that, you're almost like just left with what's they're available for you. Like I was, we're, my family was very big on hand-me-downs and hand-me-ups uh, when we were kids. And with what we're doing, um, we're really trying to, I guess, hit a couple different um, demos as far as what they're, they're looking for. Some of the parents really see it as a economic kind of almost subsidizing their normal purchases. Like um, it, it makes an economic decision because you get for a $480 membership, you can get 96 pieces over a year for that same $480, you might be able to buy 10 to 12 pieces over that year because it's not like you and me. Those pieces don't fit anymore anyway, so you, they're kind of just washed mm -hmm. away at the end. Um, with us, we're really curating it for them, not only so it's perfect for their size. It's not they're buying things six months out in advance, three months out in advance, a year out in advance, potentially in some cases. It's literally the pieces we're sending should fit your child today and over the 30 days we're sending it. Not only that, it's based on their style preferences. So like... If they tell us they really like this color, they really like this material, or they're looking for these kinds of new things, then we can really uh, 
personalize it and curate it, as you mentioned, to their to their liking with that kind of stuff. Um, what we also find, though, is then there's the, the fashionista, fashion-forward parent that literally, uh, like, doesn't want their kid in anything that's seen uh, in any other kid in their kid's class. Um, so, like, they, they don't want to be in the crew cuts. They don't want to be in Gap Kids or Old Navy or these fast fashion brands a lot of times in general. But, um, you mean, they want their kid to be in something different. So the nice part about what we do is we literally have brands from South Korea, from Japan, from uh, China, from Germany, from Poland, a lot of brands they probably never have heard of. Some of them like uh, got uh, certified, some of them sustainable natural fibers, others not necessarily as, as eco-friendly, um, but brands from all over the world. So really they get the op- opportunity to really comparison shop, get to see brands they've never heard of, get to see styles they've never seen or people on the playground or in their school have never seen. Um, but even more so than also just make them feel good at the same time about like the options they have so it's not like um, necessarily like I said like with those kind of standard brands that their, their kids literally just like a carbon copy of anyone else in their school um, and then the last one other than the like kind of the, uh, really is not only convenience but also like sustainability um, so like parents that really want to like do good want, want to care about what they should be purchasing what's going on their children's skin like what they're kind of bringing into their house um, as well, but at the same time, they don't want to have to do any extra work to really necessarily get those brands. It's kind of like, send it to me, make it easy for me, and, I'm, and, I, and I care. And if, if it's tough, if I have to go out shopping, it's kind of like, what's close more, mm-hmm. more or what websites do I know? Things like that. So we're really trying to hit all three of those kind of groups and really trying to make sure the offering for each one of them is kind of curated based on the brands we choose or what kind of things they the styles they see or stuff like that got it yeah because just hearing more about this i'm like it's kind of almost as if everlasting wardrobe is a blend of something like plateau or rent the runway and a stitch fix similar yeah we, we kind of to be honest we we really compare ourselves more than anything to birchbox okay um where you're getting like the sample, the sample of the beauty product and then from there you hopefully fall in love with it so then you buy the full-size version that's kind of where we see ourselves, that we're, it's very similar. We call it experiential marketing. We sure, certainly didn't coin the phrase, but mm-hmm. um, really just giving pa- like parents or even anyone in any kind of industry the opportunity to really enjoy something in their own home or without like really pressure to purchase it. I think when people are like necessarily like with some of these brands, we have like two to three days to purchase or you have to send everything back, really start to get like that purchase fatigue, like buyer fatigue. It's like, oh, like, I, like I'm almost like, you mean, it's almost daunting when the box is coming because you're like, uh, now I have to feel like I have to buy something. Like I, mm-hmm. I have the stylist I talk to each month. Like now I feel like a jerk that I'm wasting their time. If I'm not like actually purchasing anything, like it just kind of comes to a point where it's just a little too much with this. We, we really saw it as, you know what I mean? With kids clothes, especially like we want you to help you find these new brands, but at the same time we want it to be a risk-free purchase for you. So you saw, as we mentioned before, you see your kid with wear it for 30 days you know you love it. You know you as a parent love it. You know your child loves it. It kind of makes it an easy, easy, easy decision to go use that discount code and then buy more and more from them just because it's kind of already set that your kid likes it. So I definitely want to focus a little bit on the data because sure. that's what makes Everlasting Wardrobe unique compared definitely. to some of the other ideas we've talked about. Um, and I was just wondering if there's any data you guys have been able to observe about your consumers uh, in regards to sustainability or renting, like people who – use everlasting order or more likely to also rent other things or they're more likely to have this sort of mindset or 
is it maybe they're more likely to be in a city versus in a smaller town or in the New England area versus the Midwest? Like, I'm just yeah. super curious what the data is behind people that use your product and maybe are renting at large. For sure. There's definitely a lot of interesting kind of concepts between it all. Like for us, we, when we were do, especially doing a lot of beta testing with a few hundred families, we got to see different families all across the country, why they would be interested in something like this and also what their hangups would be about it. Um, seeing a, like a mom or, or parent in um, Manhattan, excuse me, uh, in Manhattan, um, it's really about space a lot of times. So like mm-hmm. not having to, A, carry around a bunch of clothes that don't fit your kid anymore and trying to figure out where to put them, like who to give them to next and not feel like kind of a jerk about like just having to either give them all the Salvation Army and hoping they make it to someone or you mean that, that kind of, just giving yourself something else to add onto the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, but as well, like just even the whole purchasing in advance is also an issue, like trying to buy swimsuits for next summer because they're on sale, but you don't know what size your kid's going to be in eight months. Like those kinds of guessing, it's a little bit, doesn't happen, I guess, m- maybe as much here just because there's always sales. There's always like places to purchase things like that. A lot of the parents, especially in the high income net worth ones um, that have been going for that rent at new option, a lot of them are really using the service, again, not because of the economics of it at all, although which are nice. Um, it's really more about kind of the sustainability of it. So they feel better about purchasing the goods there are because they know that they're going to a good home after the fact, as well as kind of like finding new brands that they can feel good about purchasing because they have a little bit extra money, kind of uh, that extra money to really spend on that brand that might be doing a little bit more for the environment. Um, we found, though, in a lot of non-cities, a lot of rural areas, what we found with a lot of different kinds of areas like that, we, we tested in Alabama and Texas and Arizona, um, it's really about kind of what's available. So for those parents, a lot of them have to travel over 100 miles to go shopping anywhere that's not Walmart or Target. Um, so Or like potentially maybe like a gap roll maybe here and there. But like without those just basic, a lot of times fast fashion options, um, really there's no nothing else available for them uh, without kind of traveling very far. So with those ones, it's kind of really giving them almost more the discoverability of it, really find, helping them find these new brands. As I mentioned, almost that social capital so they can say, I mean, this, this great organic cotton Indian brand, this uh, Japanese streetwear brand, this, you know I mean, brand that has all these positive kind of affirmations from Australia, like whatever the case may be, whatever gets you excited about a brand, it really gives you a lot of different opportunities to, to discover them. And then also really almost kind of comparison shop them to understand, well, this brand, this one's actually got certified, so it's uh, meets the global organic textile standard. This one doesn't. This one, the got certified one's only seven dollars more though a piece. Am I willing to pay seven dollars more for a T-shirt that's got? So you know I mean, it's kind of like yeah. gives you that really hard numbers to really make those decisions. Where and that's kind of what I mean about the convenience. Like a lot of parents say they want to be sustainable, but the more convenient you make it for them, the more likely that'll happen. I think that's everyone. I think a lot of people say they want to be sustainable and they want to be eco-friendly, but the second, like, you actually put the recycling bin there as opposed to saying, recycle your things, the more they actually do it. So I do want to touch also just a little bit on operations, and I understand that your brand is a little different, Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to know, because I think a lot of people have these questions behind the rental companies where it's like, how are you getting all these clothes? How are you storing all these clothes? Like, Definitely. how do you wash them all? Like, what is it like shipping them all? Is that also really bad? Or ha- is there like a method to the shipping that makes it a little less bad yeah. for the planet? Like, all the- I'd love to know just kind of like the operational process behind from, you already touched a little bit on how you sure. acquire your product, mm-hmm. but from like that point to like being returned by the consumer, sort of what's happening behind the scenes. 
Sure. So we're, we're like, as you mentioned kind of earlier, we're very extensively like data minded. Uh, there are other companies in the space uh, that we try to emulate in certain areas in that in that regard. Others literally don't really seem like they factor data in almost at all, which is kind of really interesting juxtaposition between the two. But uh, for us, we're very data minded. We'll track each piece of clothing we get from a brand over over 100 data points. So whether uh, this, what the sleeve length is, what the neck type is. Um, what it's made of, what the wash and care instructions are, literally every single detail, whether it be an embellishment, a print, um, a like a fabric texture, all those kinds of things. What temperature it could be worn in, the seasonality of it, uh, every single – we use an app to pick out every single Pantone color in a piece. Because really when we want to tell a brand this is this, this piece did, it was successful with our members and this one wasn't as successful – we really want to be able to understand like why do they like something and why didn't they like something. So I can kind of go into the feedback of the, the, the members as well into that. But it really all starts with the data points from the pieces just because as well as with a brand to understand what the country of origin for the brand is, where they manufacture, all those things matter because some people like the idea of just it being called a French brand, you know what I mean, or a Japanese brand just because it sounds like mm-hmm. – you know, different than what they're used to so just even little things you never know really what the thing that's going to be set it off so we try to track it across all the different data points we affix uh, machine washable uh, flexible upc tag onto each piece of clothing uh, with like our own little logo on it Mm -hmm. originally we were trying to hide those um, just to really try to make it like feel like it's part of your closet exactly just to make it easy as possible but we actually heard from parents like they want it to be visible as, as possible just and just so they know what pieces were ours and which were theirs just without even having to look at the dashboard they can just kind of see within the piece mm-hmm. um so we kind of found makes sense yeah we found that from using it and that was pretty interesting like it's something we didn't really realize um and that way we could actually track that piece of clothing across this entire journey so i know exactly how many families it's been to the feedback associated with it, any sort of issues with that piece of clothing flagged from a customer response, all based off that UPC tag. So that's really, it's all kind of data about that piece of clothing so that when we are kind of attaching it to the feedback from the parent, it really kind of makes it easier for us to, I guess, present that in a very um, easy to consume report or deliverable for the for the uh, brand because most brands aren't very data minded. So. Mm-hmm. Trying to make it very colorful, very easy to read. Like you don't need a data science degree or any sort of background to understand the kind of information we're showing them. How uh, many pieces do people typically have at a time? Because I know you said it was ninety six over a sure. year, so but it's eight pieces per box. Oh, okay. So you get eight pieces. Uh, usually it's four tops, four bottoms, or depending dresses, one pieces, things like that mixed in. Um, parents are able to really customize their profile. Either tell our stylist or on their own kind of customizable profile that can understand, can let us know, do I want more tops or bottoms? Do I want more formal or casual wear? Do I like more loose or tight-fitting clothing? You can really give us an opportunity to tell us when your kids can grow spurts. Um, you're not, as a parent, you're not individually picking out items. Our, our uh, stylist and our recommendation algorithm um, help kind of curate all that for you. Mm-hmm. So that's all based on what you've told us previously. But even more so, it's based on like the clothing itself. So we have, let's say, a user in Miami, Florida, and she that member is not going to get a sweater even in November or December because it's still 80 degrees there. So you kind of have to like keep that in mind mm-hmm. when we're sending these clothes. And obviously the, the, the opposite, like like September, we're not going to start sending shorts out necessarily. Some people we might, you know I mean, like for each piece of clothing, it has that temperature range. So if I, we actually have a weather API like built into our, our recommendation engine. So if I know you live in 
um, you know, I mean, Phoenix, Arizona, and this is probably going to be the average temperature for over the next 30 days. We'll make sure everything we're sending you out of those eight pieces fit for that temperature range for the next 30 days. So sometimes that might be a very big, like a disparate range, like 80 to 30 degrees. So like we might have some t-shirts and potentially shorts in there, but more likely it'll kind of skew more on the wintry stuff if mm-hmm. it can get down to there. Um, but then obviously same thing for seasonality, like certain things might be more spring or summer, but still could be worn in the fall, depending on where, like what location you live in, things like that. Totally. So with your, in regards to genres and the different styles, do you find that, trends and styles and kids clothing changes as much as it does in adults i mean it kind of like seems like every brand that we work with kind of has their thing Mm -hmm. and then they just do that really well so like i think like there's very few kids you find like the disbursement though of it's like six points to jock jams versus like 15 points to something else do you find that the changing of how many points get allotted to different styles are changing with trends a lot or people are pretty set in what they like i think people are pretty set in what they like we've had like our longest customers from like our paid beta for like almost two years now um and most of the time like you'll see like little changes like like something for example like i don't give me zippers to like that doesn't kind of matter anymore we'll see stuff like that a lot um, the more the child kind of has say in what they're wearing, I think we kind of get a little bit more like customization going just because the parents like, eh, just send me something like this. And then the kids starting to get like really kind of particular about what they want to wear and like be almost be a part of the process, mm-hmm. which is great. We, we like, we try to make the, the whole like dashboard system very easy for a child to use even if, if need be. So, uh, we, we love that kind of that, that feedback and stuff like that and to really give them. But we haven't really seen too much of a change. Obviously, when we get into the years of like someone going from 2 to 12, I think we'll see a lot of change over that period. Um, we just don't obviously have the data as far as, like our, as I mentioned, like our longest customers are about 24, 25 months now. So, um, but I mean, it's pretty cool. Like we get to see with like families that have multiple kids, like how the, the styles between the different kids change. Cause like a lot of times, like one daughter will wear the other daughter won't other times they literally want as much matching stuff as possible. So I think it kind of family as well, like personality mm-hmm. types, like if you, I mean, what kind of things you prefer, whether or not, um, I think with the boys, it's a little bit easier just because to be honest, they don't really have as much choice. Um, just so like you kind of have less to choose from. So it's literally, I mean, it's, you're not really, and then like with the, with the girl side of things, I think you have like, as far as the brand offerings, like pretty much any kind of style of clothing from like, you mean fancy, like evening gown, like cocktail dresses, if you wanted to like your next athletic, like athleisure wear, like kind of mode. And even like companies like Spanx and those kind of companies are making like leggings and stuff now for mm-hmm. children and hitting those markets. So, I mean, you really get like, kind of really coming from all different angles, which is great. I mean, which is great for us because we, we really want to have as much diversity and supply as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we want, as I mentioned, like, although you might be this kind of parent that is, you mean, spent the more, act, more point, they spent like more of their points in like preppy or classic kind of looking and using like the jazz category. Um, but we will make a point to send you some streetwear options, some trendy options, some kind of wild, funky options, potentially even like a, a cool pair of leggings or something like that, just because, just so that they kind of have the opportunity to say, all right, I actually don't like this at all. Please don't send me any more of these. Or eh, kind of like, this was cool. Maybe maybe a different print or a different color or something they'd like to tweak about it, but like they start to open up to something. Whereas, and that's kind of like what we found with the business as a whole, like most parents will spend 
I think it's 80% of their money on six to eight brands. Okay. Um, and we really want to help parents find those six to eight brands. And then even the, the 20% where they're, they're kind of buying one off, like they call them like statement or hero pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to help them find those brands too. Where's that line, by the way, between like getting negative mm-hmm. feedback and wanting to make sure it's not just anecdotal and wanting sure. to test it more? Like where's the line between like continuing to send out like a pair of pants that people say is too small to like get – more feedback and see the data trend versus being like, oh, too small. We're not doing it anymore. It's just kind of, I guess some in some cases, it's just adapting. We had one brand, for example, that was every single thing was a size that was very form-fitting. So we pretty much anyone you gave a size 8 to for a size 8 kid, it wouldn't fit them. It would be too mm-hmm. tight. So we'd have to give them a size 10 for a size 8 kid. So we kind of built, we have like an internal um, size converter that helps us with that. So in those kinds of cases, we can almost self-correct and give it to the kid that actually fits. Mm-hmm. So just because it says size six, we won't doesn't mean we'll give it to a size six kid. So maybe it's re- like for us actually really tight fitting, and it's, it's for someone who's will actually fit a size five person, or maybe it's super loose and baggy, and it actually fits better on a size seven or a size eight kid. Um, so in those cases, we can kind of like fudge around depending on the brand, and we'll actually do that actively for like a skew for an entire brand. In some cases, as we've had to. Um, when it comes to more like if it doesn't fit either, obviously, at some point, we'll, we'll just kind of take it out. A lot of times we'll hear like, for example, like a pair of jeans, like like a, a girl or a boy is might be a size six, but there's like a really like long, like super long legs or very like kind of lanky arms or whatever the case may be as far as um, you know, their body type, even at that age. Um, so with those kids, sometimes like, for example, with some of those pieces, it might fit that kind of unique body type a little bit better and we'll kind of save those types of pieces for them um other cases like we've we've had one or two pieces that like just had bad feedback from a style perspective and with those to be honest we'll just kind of retire them if it's something we've got gotten from like a liquidation sale or something like that we'll just pop it on poshmark or Mm -hmm. give it to a donation partner um if it's something that we've gotten from a brand partner we'll just let them know that feedback um because you mean they don't want us to have a bad experience with our members because that then they stop losing, they lose sales, they lose that feedback and all that awareness. So, they, I mean, it's in their best, it, it's in their best interest for us to succeed as well. Um, so we, I mean, we'll, we'll, but we'll let them know. And, and to be honest, like, as, as upsetting or as, as, you mean, someone telling you your baby, something you, cre- not obviously real baby, but like your clothing that you made, your style. Yeah, your what, creative baby. Yeah, your creative baby. Obviously, we're talking about kids <laughs> too. I don't, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression of what I'm saying. Um, but yes, with your creative baby, like, it's kind of a sad thing, like, you mean it's like you spent how many ever hours designing this, stitching it, like your blood, sweat, and tears to make this, and nobody likes it. But at the same time, knowing why they don't like it and understanding like the facts behind it as far as like was it the fit, was it the style, was it the colors you used, was it the prints, was it the embellishments, was it the material you used? Like any kind of one of those things could be the reason why no one wants to buy this or experience it even in our box. And that helps them for the next season. Sure. Uh, so we're getting close to the end, but I had one just kind of quick question, or I hope it's a quick question. Sure. But I don't, uh, know, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> we'll see. We'll me, see. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of just generally like I think of like Friends of Runway, it took them seven years to become profitable. Yeah. And with a smaller brand doing a rental model as well, do you think like bringing data into it or bringing like a technology aspect will kind of be able to close that gap of profitability? And do you think 
that bring technology is what's really going to be an asset for newer companies to start in this rental field? Or what do you think is going to kind of be the key to success for the future of Everlasting Wardrobe? I think it's just kind of how you build the model from the outset. I mean, you look at Rental Runway, obviously they built an amazing company. Um, they kind of started with the formal rental to start off with, mm -hmm. like the short-term rental. And the issue with that for them was, and that's really one of the biggest reasons why they took so long to get to profitability, or from what I've read and heard, um, kind of really trying to yeah. like sponge up as much knowledge as possible about the industry. Um, because really, you have to A, acquire you as a customer the first time, and then they have to, on top of that, remind you that just because they don't know whether or not you ever have another event to rent something to. And then after that, they have to kind of hopefully catch you at the same time that you have another event to so they can have to keep acquiring you over and over again. So like really the LTV versus like lifetime value versus yeah. customer acquisition costs is just way off in that. And then the other aspect for their business is then this is. When sure. it originally started, obviously they with their like kind of their, uh, unlimited and, and those other kind of models they have now, uh, really has helped eliminate a lot of those issues because you kind of have that subscription monthly payment rather than hopefully we're gonna get one use or two uses from her maybe five. I mean like you really had mm -hmm. no idea in, in the kind of the old way. Um, so for that aspect, we really wanted to start more with the that kind of everyday model first. Whereas we have them every month, they're getting eight, eight pieces of clothing in and out. It's almost kind of like part of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we can kind of move into formal and outerwear rentals, more short-term picture days. Um, I mean, we do have like pieces that range up to $150 in the normal service, mm -hmm. um, like MSRP, but like um, start doing like more expensive pieces of cashmere pieces. We have a lot of like um, outerwear, stuff like that. So, so with kind of what they did, we, we try to almost look at what they did and, and flip it. So really start with the everyday stuff first and kind of not really deal with the same necessarily issue. The other thing about makes our, our business uh, very different from like a model perspective is like when they send you stuff or even like you're picking out individual clothing. So you really need to understand, like they need to have such depth of it, each piece of clothing that they should like whatever list just because of the amount of time, like it's not worth it to list it if they don't can't serve multiple people with that listing. Mm -hmm. um, so then they also have to, especially with the formal wear, they also had to have, I think, like one size up and one size down that they also sent with you. So like they have to have that inventory, inventory. depth. Yeah, so like, and then obviously pretty much everything they had was dry clean only. Um, I think a lot of the unlimited stuff, even a lot of it's dry clean only. So all those kinds of things really like add to the expenses of the business and really make you have those kinds of issues, obviously, in, as well as they're just actually paying for their inventory in pretty mm -hmm. much all cases. Um, we really see what we try to do is, as I mentioned, not be an e-commerce box, not be just like a trunk club or stitch fix or things that are out there now, um, really build this as a marketing platform. Because by doing so, rather than making the, the brand almost a competitor, trying to take more margin from them, walling them off from the customer, and then a lot of these brands um, are actually not necessarily knocking them off, but they're making their own lines. So if they see something that's popular and doing well, why wouldn't they make it themselves um, and sell it their own version rather than your brand's version? Mm -hmm. um, so in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily, in, in my opinion, in the brand's best interest, as well as with the adult model, it's almost like try so you don't have to buy. Yeah. Um, really, because like, why are you gonna buy this thing if you got to wear it for the two week period you needed it? You or got all your picks. Exactly. You're done. <laughs> you're, you're done. You like, and then you don't have to worry about it just sitting in your closet for the rest of the time. So like with all those, there's like kind of those inherent issues in that. Like what we try to do is a, like, I mean, we get all of our clothing, if not at 
for free at a profit to us in those kinds mm-hmm. of like um, you know kind of those flips the flipping the, the items necessary that we couldn't use so all the inventory like everything from us inventory wise is actually a profit center we've made money acquiring this inventory not even using it in the service um, so for that like kind of respect having them be a brand partner like having them be really a partner of ours sharing the data with them instead of walling them off pushing the, the member to their website to buy so that they could have their email address and stuff like that rather than trying to sell it through the box and then being like, no, no, they're our customer. They're not your mm-hmm. customer. Um, all those things gives us gets us the inventory for free, and that makes us have ridiculously higher unit margins than any of these other companies. So whereas, like, for example, and that, that kind of is great for us in a lot of different ways, not only just from being more profitable business from the outset, um, really kind of hitting that almost being profitable from the fir- sometimes from the first box we send, um, but even more so really kind of getting into other charity initiatives and stuff. For example, we're talking to – private elementary schools. We're actually uh, just started talking to FIT about it as well, potentially doing it with them, where we could donate 10 to $20 of our first month's membership to a charity of their choice based on kind of like almost like as a, a partnership membership initiative for us um, to acquire members. And like for a lot of these other companies, for them to give away any sort of margin is killer for them just because they don't, they're already losing money on that first and second box. With us, we're get, we have even with giving these kind of charity initiatives and doing these kind of projects and stuff like that, we still are profiting on the first box. It might be a very small profit, mm-hmm. but we're still profiting on, even on the first box. So that kind of gives us a leg up almost from the beginning, which is nice. I mean, we don't want to be one of these venture back companies. I mean, we are raising venture funding, but we don't want to be one of these companies that aren't like literally like oh we we you mean we had a hundred million dollars in business and we lost two hundred million dollars like it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't make sense. I mean, like as much as growth you could have, like I don't. I think people are starting to wise up a little bit more, especially mm-hmm. when you see what's happening with some of these other kind of venture back businesses. Uh, I don't want to like obviously call anyone out yeah. by name, but um, but with those kinds of ones, like you, you kind of see what what's happening there and how a lot of these companies aren't necessarily spending the money smartly, like or at, le- at least kind of like like mm-hmm. really usefully. Um, so we really wanted to make sure with what the model we're building, and that's kind of what's taken us maybe a little bit longer to start up just because for me to go to 50 brands, we're actually at 125 brands now for us to go to 125 brands and say, Hey, I want to buy wholesale from you. Every single one of those brands would have given me like a sheet, like rolled out the red carpet. What do you want? I mean, no issue there. And I could have probably called all 2000 brands and purchased from them. It wouldn't be an issue, but for us to like kind of pitch what we're doing, like I think January, 2018, we literally had six brands on board because um, most of them, when we would call, they literally hang up on us to be like, give you free clothing. This doesn't make sense. Why would I ever do that? But then when you kind of walk them through the logic of it, they're able to use not only past season stuff, new tags, trade show samples. They can use current season stuff, future season samples, all this kinds of stuff and all the value they get from it. Then it was kind of like, all right, well, I am spending $150 to acquire someone on Google or Facebook. Why not just use my clothing to acquire it? It cost me $5. And in some cases, can we've had multiple families from one piece mm-hmm. become like loyal customers, spending hundreds of dollars on that company's website, just literally from a single piece that went out to multiple families. So that's amazing. So where can people find out more about you, about Everlasting Wardrobe? Any last words you want to impart on listeners? Sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so everlastingwardrobe.com. Uh, we do have a wait list, but if you email us at Edison uh, at everlastingwardrobe.com. We'll make sure the team will make sure that if you let them know that you came through this podcast, we'll make sure you can skip the uh, the wait list and just kind of be be onboarded immediately. So uh, cool. just let yeah, just let us know you came from hand me up, and we'll we'll make sure we can kind of let you guys skip skip the uh, 
anything else as far as get in exclusive access of course course. awesome that sounds amazing i know i have some young mom listeners so we'll see i hope for the best um everyone thank you so much for listening this has been another episode of the hand me up club i am Lindsay retair and i will talk to you next week the hand me up club is hosted by Lindsay retair recorded and engineered by adam zucker and edited by caitlin korea at cc media thanks for listening